The aftermath of Australia's inaugural South by Southwest. The good, the bad, and its future. Also today, it's upfront season. We dive into some of the network's 2024 plans. The latest on ARN's bid to take over SEA, and one of Australia's biggest names in TV says the misinformation cycle in news and social media is beyond repair. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast, a discussion of everything under Australia's media and marketing umbrella. I'm your host and the editor of Mumbrella, Neil Griffiths, and as always, I'm joined today by Adam Lang. Adam, thanks for coming on the show yet again. Good afternoon, Neil. I'm reporting from an unusual situation. It's frantic here in the Mumbrella newsroom, so I'm live and on the floor. I hope the background noise is okay. No, it sounds great. I mean, you are the veteran of this podcast. I'm in week number two. I don't know what week you're in, but, um, you know, I'm going to let you take the lead here, Adam, if that's okay. I'm in double digits, Neil. This is week 11 of my editorial engagement, so I feel like a veteran. Oh, happy 11th anniversary. Thank you. Well, look, let's kick things off this week with two major events that happened in the last seven days and that are actually still ongoing. That being South by Southwest Sydney and Upfront Season. But to help us do that, we're joined by Mumbrella's Deputy Editor, Nathan Jolly, who is at both of these events. Nathan, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, guys. Oh, good. Um, um, thanks for coming on. This is, again, week number two for me. So it's, it's nice to have someone with as, as little experience on the Mumbrella cast as me for once. <laughs> well, I look forward to sharing that inexperience. Um, look, let, let's start about the positive side. I want to start with South by Southwest Sydney. Um, so let's do the positive side first. This was its first year. Obviously, it is a stalwart in, in the US. I think at 30 plus years, South by Southwest has been a thing in Austin. Sydney had its first run. Now, you're on the ground a lot. You can check out mumbrella.com.au for a bunch of stories we covered at the panels and conferences. So first year in, did you have any expectations going into it? To be honest, my expectations were a little low for the first year because I figured, you know, first time they've ever attempted it. It was also at quite a high scale. It was spread out around Sydney. So I thought it, you know, it would be the kind of thing that would take a few years to find its feet, but they seem to come in hot. Yeah, there were a lot of big talking points, a lot of different industry panels and keynotes, you know, big names like Nicole Kidman, Chance the Rapper appeared. The big talking point, though, for people who went along was that it was so busy, you couldn't actually get into some sessions. You can check out the Weekend Mumbo on the Mumbrella website. A lot of people were lined up, you know, long before the session started. Some people couldn't even get in. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was quite crazy. I think they very much... They did not expect the amount of people that came through and were interested in the sessions to be so. There were crowds of people either coming in and out, bottlenecking. People were having to make decisions to leave panels early to kind of chance to get to a panel that they might not even get into. I could hear a lot of that kind of complaining on the ground. People talked about how they'd come down from Melbourne to cover things that they couldn't cover. There were people that were spending a lot of money for very specific panels and couldn't get into them. And it kind of only got worse because they started sending out emails warning people to turn up early. And so everyone turned up early and it was just the same crowds, but 20 minutes earlier. But, you know, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, I mean, it's a great problem to have. It is bittersweet in the sense that the obviously it's it probably did better than expected. A lot of people wanted to go, but they didn't have the rooms to fill it. Yeah, and I was surprised because, as I said, I thought it was a very ambitious undertaking. And if anything, they were a bit too modest in their thinking. They should have been booking out the big 700-seaters and stuff for 
various panels because they obviously couldn't fit the amount of people that wanted to go. But again, it's the first year. Who knew that AI was so damn popular still? <laughs> I mean, should South by Southwest Sydney return in 2024? What do you think the best ways to address this? Because I'm just kind of thinking of other big industry panels. Uh, big Sound comes to mind, which obviously takes place every year in, in Fortitude Valley. Now, Fortitude Valley is a very brilliant district where everything is in the one place. I know another bit of feedback I heard was that things for South by Southwest Sydney were kind of all over the city. There wasn't one particular district to go. Do you think that's the way to look forward? Yeah, well, I mean, it is a problem. It's a geographical problem. It's Sydney is... You know, it's splashed out from the harbour and so it's hard to get around. It's not like Melbourne, which is like gridded and it's not like Brisbane where it's all the venues are in one location and you kind of hop. And Austin is very much like that. It's built for that kind of thing where you can literally go from bar to bar to bar to bar. Sydney, it's like you have to go from ferry to tram to train to <laughs> light rail to, oh, buses aren't running this weekend. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's a bit of a, that's just a geographical challenge and I don't know how you can get past that short of, you know, booking a run of 20 empty storefronts on Parramatta Road and just holding it all there. Yeah. Well, uh, stay tuned to mumbrella.com.au for more details as they come and check out all the coverage of South by Southwest Sydney. Uh, but speaking of a lot of travelling, Nathan, you and the Mumbrella team have been all over Sydney for a completely different thing. Of course, it's upfront season. Uh, we had sevens last week. We had O and ten this week. Uh, Foxtel is still to come. SBS is next week. You went along to ten this week and wrote about it being all about the nostalgia. Again, check out the Mumbrella website for that story. Can you tell us a bit about what ten are doing and going down this nostalgic road? Yeah, well, I think it's a very great play. So basically, they have brought back Deal or No Deal which they're going to have at 6 p.m. So that's going to be taking on the news coverage from the other networks, which I think is smart. Like if you're going to differentiate yourself, Tell Home and Away originally blew up, to be honest. It went up against all the news and, you know, people don't want to be watching the war over their dinner. So maybe Deal or No Deal is the perfect thing for that. They've also got Wheel of Fortune, which they're bringing back. They're bringing back Ready, Steady, Cook. They're bringing back Gladiators. And they've been doing this. Like last year, they brought back Shark Tank. They brought back, well, I suppose technically they brought back Neighbours. They also brought back Thank God You're Here, which hadn't been on air for 14 years. I didn't realise it was that wow. far gone. But, yeah, that's quite a – so that was quite a resurrection and that was very successful for them. Oh, very good. Thank God and resurrection. Nice one, mate. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and thank Christ Gladiators is here because they don't really have any summer sport to speak of i mean they've got soccer which is good but like gladiators is a good kind of competitive you know it's almost ufc ish and wwe ish mm. it's it's in that kind of realm of hyper entertainment ufc for families yeah exactly <laughs> yeah the bloodless battles it's probably past your time adam but for nathan and i i think the only <laughs> thing that's left is the return of cheese tv yeah oh wow Gosh, so I worked at 10 between 2004 and 2007 and they were a really tightly targeted uh, demographic, you know, and they, they really wanted to have a youth focus but differentiate themselves from 7 and 9. And so under CBS Paramount, I, I agree with you, Nathan. I think this is a really interesting play and it's differentiating themselves from what 7, 9, SBS and the ABC are doing. So, you know, that entertainment, fun bit of light relief when people want it amongst their offerings i think it's really sensible 
Yeah, and they've also got Nickelodeon as well, which they've launched as a free-to-air channel. Like that's a, that's a great play as well, and that's another kind of point of difference. They've got MTV. Like they've got a lot of good. Good brands. Yeah, good brands and quality brands. And they also announced that Paramount, they're doing a advertising tier as well this year following their Netflix footsteps. And I think Disney, if they haven't already done one, are about to do one. So that's also a very smart play. And so, Nathan, if you're watching Survivor, as you might, and you just wanted to buy one of those buffs for your fashion collection, you could. <laughs> yeah. You now can. Yeah, Shoppable TV. It's um, <laughs> been piloted in Australia. And you can literally, yeah, free Survivor, click on, get a VR code to your phone, and then get the Survivor buff sent straight to your door. We could all be wearing them on the next Mumbrella cast. <laughs> Should be all wearing them. We could broker a deal if somebody could lead that up, please. The trading platform, I think, strategically, you know, as the third place commercial network is really interesting. And so, you know, Paramount is the owner of taken over what was Network 10, uh, CBS Paramount. They've got the streaming service, Paramount Plus. They've got the free to wear. They've got a different commercial model that they're now working with and offering to market as well as these different programs. I think I have to say it's pretty well done for where they're positioned in the market and a good aggressive play to get audience and, and get advertisers interested. And their upfront was completely different to nine and sevens were like kind of big, splashy, like nine had theirs in the horde and seven had theirs as part of South by Southwest in the ICC in like a thousand seat room. And they were all about celebrating, you know, being number one. You know, nine's basically like news.com.au where their entire thing hinges on we're number one. And so they really drummed that through and seven who are actually number one also drummed that in <laughs> at their <laughs> upfront. Whereas tens was kind of like, a, you know, it was a bit more kind of friendly for want of a better term. We don't care about the ranking. Yeah. We're just offering this. Yeah. And um, they've, they've replaced Dr. Chris Brown with an Irwin. So that's about as close <laughs> as Australian animal royalty you can get. You you mentioned seven and, and nine there and, You'll be you'll be going to the the Foxtel upfronts, which you're getting there quite literally on a boat. Um, yeah. Water transit aside, are there any particular themes or trends you've seen at these events about what we should be expecting in 2024? Is there a, a similar vibe that the networks are going for? Well, maybe Foxtel will be rebooting Water Rats, and that's why they're sending <laughs> us all out on the harbour. <laughs> but um, yeah, reboots aside, it seems like. Well, their pitch, again, they're upfront, so they are aimed at advertisers. So a lot of their pitch was the data, like the clear metrics that they're using and the fact that their data, like you can target more efficiently and we will show you how that targeting is working. So I think a lot of it is getting clarity around the advertising offerings that they all have. That seems to be what they're focused on. In terms of programming, I mean, Seven Lean, well, they lent heavily into Dr. Chris Brown, who they've just poached. They've got him funding three different shows, but they also have lent very heavily into reality dating shows and crime dramas, which is interesting. They're basically, I mean, podcasts and TV are very similar in that it seems to be the kind of personality-driven reality ones or the gritty crimes that seem to still be working. Seven and Nine kind of both went in that direction. Yeah. 10 have gone for Wheel of Fortune, and I applaud it. <laughs> Although NCIS Sydney, 
that is coming that's up. That's true. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, we did not discuss that. That's so. That's 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 ten. That was another big ten announcement. Yeah, yeah. I want Lauren Order Sydney as well to compete. That'll come soon. Sure. Like with Mariska Hagate, you mean, or like a brand new cast? Yeah, Jaywalking Division, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And before we let you go, Nathan, of course, uh, O Media had their upfronts as well. A big theme they had this year was about sustainability. Uh, Adam, I know you've got some strong feelings about this. How did you feel when you when you read this? Look, really good. Uh, just a disclosure, of course, I'm working with the OMA, the Outdoor Media Association, on the Move 2.0 audience measurement project. So it has nothing to do with this, but I have to disclose it. I think one of the industry's push for sustainability is really strong, and OMedia made a good announcement about that. You know, yes, there's lots of digitization and using digital panels, so many less um, physical posters are being printed and pasted and removed, but they are still a hugely important part of the advertising mix and audiences are shown to love them. So you know, you like going by that regular spot where you see something on a regular basis, but they're going to use a different material now, which is sustainable. And so I think that's you might not think it's the most important thing, but what a good brand enhancer it is to know that if you're buying a campaign, that it's going to be sustainable, right? So you don't have to worry about that. It's one less obstacle in the way of purchase. I think too for Omedia, and Lauren McNamara wrote the article on the upfront. She was there and got to speak to Neil Ackland while there too. And so there's a really couple of interesting stories on umbrella.com.au that are well worth reading for more detail. But I thought it was a great upfront or outfront, as they call it, and explaining what they're doing with data, explaining what they're doing to understand their audiences better, explaining new premises, like big announcements for Sydney in terms of Woolara, a premium district, getting more inventory, uh, and in the city of Sydney with, with light rail. So their presence is big, and we know that out-of-home media is incredibly competitive from retailers, all the different assets that they have right in through shopping malls into the store, but also not just retail, but in the out-of-home environment. And Omedia is one of the biggest, well, it's the biggest player. And so I think they had a good, successful out front this week as well. Yeah, and as Adam said, you can check out the Mumbrella website. Uh, Lauren McNamara sat down exclusively with Neil Ackland. Uh, so head there to read all about it. We're going to take a short break right now, but before we do, Nathan, thanks so much for coming on, man. I know you've got a lot of work, so you've got to get a wetsuit on for the Foxtel up front. So we'll let you go. <laughs> I do. Thank you, and thank you for having me. We'll talk soon. We'll be back right after the break. Welcome back to the Mumbrella cast with myself, Neil Griffiths, editor of Mumbrella, and Adam Lang. Adam, thanks for sticking around. My pleasure. Now, this is another big story that we kind of covered at length last week. I think we recorded it the morning that it broke. That, of course, being uh, ARN's bid to take over Southern Cross Osterio. If, if you haven't seen already, which I'm sure you have, ARN, along with Anchorage Capital Partners, have put a bid in to take over SEA. In, in the last week, there's been reports that SEA looking to counter that bid by getting some interest elsewhere. Media entrepreneur Anthony Catalano uh, as reportedly looking to interrupt the bid. So before we get into it, Adam, straight off the bat, what are your thoughts about what's transpired this week since that bombshell announced? Sure. So let's just do a brief recap. ARN, in what I think was a very bold and cunning move, have launched a bid for SCA. They already own a large percentage, 14.8% of it. 
and they want to buy the rest. And the reason they want to do that is to mix the two companies up, take the assets out that they want the most and put the rest of the assets in two things. One called, a, I guess, a new SCA, working title only, but also have a digital joint venture entity. Now, this wasn't expected by SCA. And so there's no response formally yet other than to say it was unexpected and complicated. And so what we've seen really has happened behind the scenes so far. But what we understand to be going on is that a range of different parties are also interested in the mix. So this is not a done deal. It's a launch for a bid by ARN, but it's not done. And so as we talked about last week briefly too, there's a range of concerns here that even if it was to proceed, if the shareholders of SCA want it to happen, it still has to have Australian Competition and Consumer Commission uh, review it. It still has to have the Foreign Investment Review Board review it and it still has to have the Australian Communications and Media Authority review it too. So there's a number of hurdles that it has to pass. But alongside all of that, Anthony Catalano from Australian Community Media, he's got a whole lot of regional or predominantly regional assets as well as digital. So think of um, newspapers in many regional locations as well as other digital assets, including The View. He is opportunistic and is understood to be looking at this. Also, um, CBS and Paramount have said, look, we might be interested in the television assets, but they're saying they're not. They're not interested in buying the television assets, the regional television assets that SCA currently own and operate. So there's a lot of talk about what might happen, but all of that is speculation at the moment. But how interesting and also, I would say, how disruptive, because here we are talking about it and we know if you're an employee at ARN or SCA or any of the partners that deal with them, media buyers and so on, this is the subject of much interest. It's tough to know what to believe as well. We talked about it last week and there's a breakout news story on mumbrella.com.au. You know, was the, the Kyle and Jackie O ploy to come back to SCA, was that a move because they foresaw this bid coming? In the last week, SCA have actually axed some of their regional breakfast shows. If you are working at SCA, Adam, what are you thinking as one of the people in that office right now? I think you're just being highly alert and hopefully that everyone is still able to keep focus on doing their jobs because you know the, the thing that keeps the company healthy is really the same thing that keeps your employment really healthy and that's doing your job really well. So as distracting as all of this can be, and no doubt it's the subject of many informal conversations and maybe even some formal ones, you know, people requesting to know what, what is going on, that you have to still focus on doing your job to grow the audience each day, to deliver campaigns really well each day and earn the next one. So there's still a job to do, but there'll be some distractions in amongst that. It's it's quite surreal how much has happened in the last seven days on this. And it now feels like the third act of a Quentin Tarantino movie because in the coming days, SEA will be hosting an annual general meeting where, of course, we expect this to be brought to the table. People will be asking questions. If you're in that room or if you're a shareholder, how quickly are we getting to this topic, number one? And number two, what would you be asking? What do you want to know? Oh, look, I think he... Um... The first thing of interest is, you know, you know the annual report, you already have that. So uh, what you're most interested in in annual general meeting is a current trading update. Like how are you going in the months that have passed since 30 June 
2023. So how did July, August, September, October go? And how's the forward bookings looking? You know, for your audience expectations, for your revenue expectations, for your operating, how's it going? Is listener turning towards profit? Those are all materially interesting to investors, probably in my view, the most interesting. Then it kind of goes to the salacious. What are you doing about this bid? Because people who are interested enough to go to an annual general meeting probably would have read the news. They probably would have followed mumbrella.com.au because I've got to say some of the stuff that we've had on this has been market leading, right? So there's been good journalism to pay attention to, to inform your appetite to invest in SCA. So I think it'll quickly turn from what's the update, the trading update, into how you're trading forward, not just what's been in recent months, to what are you going to do now really about this bid? And it has to include that. So I think it's kind of third logically, but it's something that everyone wants to get to. (laughs) It is so salacious and interesting, but I don't think there's a conclusion. So I think SCA are probably limited in how much they can say beyond what we already know. That's, of course, unless they choose that time to make an announcement. And that would be really interesting. We're going to cover it. So we'll be there to find <laughs> out. We did. I mean, I did ask you last week if you thought this was going to be a, a quick or, or long play. And you said you didn't expect it to, to happen you know, in the short term. However, in that time, the, the reports of a counterbid are happening. Anthony Catalano's in the mix now. Do you still think we're still months away from uh, an actual concrete decision moving forward? Uh, yes, uh, but a couple of things can happen along the way. For example, SCA might be able to come up with something that they believe is a superior alternative for investors to consider. Another third party might come along and say that here's another alternative that we think is superior. Ultimately, it comes down to what do the shareholders of SCA want to do? What's the best offer for them? So they know it's in play. And so anything can happen in the short term. But once a deal has got the recommendation of the board, usually it comes as a, yep, we believe this is in the best interest of shareholders. Often they'll say subject to another bid coming along. Then that starts to proceed through the approvals process, you know, getting that regulatory approval that we mentioned. So that takes time. But you may get to a point where the, the SCA board is willing to endorse a bid subject to any other bids coming along. So that could happen in the shorter term. And then you've got this approval process to get through. So it really is an interesting spectator sport. Putting my editor hat on for a second, do you or should you expect any uh, you know, major updates at the AGM on Friday? Or do you think it'll be very much a, a business as usual approach? I think what we know is that they'll have to say something, right? I don't know whether there's in, let's face it, it'll only have been 10 days since they received the bid. That's not a lot of time to come up with a substantial announcement to make. So, well, I would say it's arguably not enough time. They could have done it, but I'm not expecting that. So, you know, that would be a bit of a surprise. Yeah, well, stay tuned to mumbrella.com.au for for more updates as they come. Uh, I thought I'd wrap things up on a more happy, well, it's not really happy note the subject, but I wanted to talk about uh, Will Anderson, who, of course, is one of Australia's biggest names in comedy. Of course, the host of The Gruen Transfer and the host of ABC's Question Everything, which, if you don't know, is all about taking the misinformation and lies out of the news. Now, I thought this was really timely because uh, listening back to some of the, the past 
Umbrella Cast episodes, particularly in the lead up to the voice referendum and what's been going on in the news. Um, so I, I spoke to Will a, a couple of weeks ago now, and on the topic of social media and the power it has, he said the misinformation cycle is, quote, intrinsically broken forever. Um, when it comes to social media, he says it's in people's best interest to mislead people now. The algorithms reward it. Social media has meant that conflict is something that people are more interested in than they are in facts and truth. Going back to the voice referendum and, and looking at how those campaigns worked, Adam, you got to tell me that that's, that's a pretty succinct way to sum that up. It's a powerful quote. Mm. Uh, and obviously he's incredibly successful as a comedian. He's also successful well beyond that, including the Gruen transfer and, of course, as you said, Neil, question everything. You know, he's an articulate, intelligent person. And so that, that line struck me pretty well. And you go, yeah, seemingly it's just what happened. And we talked about this in recent episodes of the Mumbrella cast. The, the difficulty with the referendum on The Voice, first was that it was not bipartisan. And so it became a contest about which way people should vote rather than having all politicians saying what they genuinely believe. It went along party lines. And so that caused a lot of argument and people were confused. Then around that, you might say that there was very different results from how the campaigns went. You know, on the face of it, if we go back over the last year, we've seen polling that said people were 60% in favour. And then through the articulation of what the voice was actually going to say, and then the politicisation of the debate, it became 60% against. So you would say that oh, well, no must have the no campaign must have done a better job of the yes campaign, and they were accused of misinformation. You know that that accusation is there, but you would also say too that the yes campaign might not have been successful overall, but in the closing weeks they did succeed in getting more people to be prone to vote yes. And so I think it's so interesting on a number of levels, um, political, but as well as strategic campaigning and just how well, to, to your point, Neil, misinformation can mm. be seen to work. It's, yeah. it's confusing. So when people are being asked to vote for change, confusion can get in the way of, of that sort of vote to change. It's quite incredible how powerful the slogan, if you don't know, vote no resonated with people it did and that that showed that showed to be fact that it resonated well with voters well again you can read all about it and all of the this week's stories on mumbrella.com.au that's all the time we've got for today thank you so much for joining us and thank you for coming along again adam again congratulations on week 11 <laughs> thank you neil great to be here this is the mumbrella cast remember to hit follow on the podcast and head along to mumbrella.com.au for more info that we've talked about today i'm neil griffiths thanks for your company we'll see you next time